You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Father, we confess our great need for you, and in joy and in pain, we lay all that down at your feet, trusting that you're big enough to carry us, strong enough to to bear us up, to, to bind up our wounds, and that you're good. And so our hearts are secure in you We are secure in joy and in sorrow. Pray you'd strengthen your people this morning through your word, that as we opened in prayer, as we just sang, that we would be able to praise you for your past faithfulness as we plead for you to be faithful still. Focus our minds and our our hearts and our attention on you, Lord Jesus, Receive the praise and honor and worship to your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning and uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, Briefly this morning, let me just say this. Uh, One of my prayers over the last number of years... uh, Growth for myself as a father, both literally with my own kids, as well as spiritually as an elder here at River City, one of my prayers has been for a renewal of of godly fatherhood, if I can say it that way, both in myself and in the church and in our culture. And I mean that in terms of biological fathers and adoptive fathers and married in stepfathers and spiritual fathers. Uh, The calling... That calling to strong servant leadership, that calling to self-sacrificial love, that calling to cover and protect and care for others in those with whom we are responsible, in our immediate families, in our spiritual family, that that calling would continue to be seen as a good and glorious calling, and that the fathers among us would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to take up that calling, and by God's grace and by the power of His Spirit, we would bear the fruit of spiritual maturity for God's glory and to the benefit of our families and our church and our community. So let me just say it this way. Happy Father's Day. May all of you who are fathers be encouraged in your calling today, even if you have to go home and cook your own steak on the grill. Amen? I'm going to go do that after this. So let's get after it. Um, Our summer series in the Psalms continues, so we'll be looking at Psalm 40 if you'd like to turn there. Uh, Some of our strike teams coming around with Bibles. If you need one, Psalm 40, it's on page 267 in the Bibles that are being handed out. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that there will be other voices preaching in the Psalms this summer, so you might be asking, okay, first you, and then Nathan was last week, and now you again. 
Well, as we were planning the dates and looking at the schedule for the summer, Psalm 40 kind of remained open as other dates were and other psalms were picked and names added to the list. And I have to say, I'm not sad about that because Psalm 40 is remarkably rich. As it kept not being picked, I was like, are you kidding me? None of you want to? Okay, I guess guess I'll do it. Um, So I'm not sad about that. Um, So I'm kind of glad this date kind of sat lonely on the schedule for for a couple weeks so I could work on it and uh, hopefully uh, benefit us this morning in our time. Um, I promise you will hear other voices this summer. I promise. Now, Psalm 40, a little background on Psalm 40. Uh, Psalm 40 is a psalm of David. It's part of a series of psalms that are repentant psalms, as I mentioned before. David, in this series of psalms, is broken down and in need. And so in Psalms 38 through 41, David is particularly aware of his own sin. He knows he's in a bad place, and he knows he needs God's help. And so Psalm 40 is a, is a repentant plea for rescue. So let's read it together. Uh, it's only 17 verses. Let's read Psalm 40 together, and then we'll dig into it a bit this morning. Psalm 40, hear the word of the Lord today. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. 
but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is God's holy word for us today. I'm going to risk giving you an illustration that nobody in the room remembers, well, like 10%. There's a TV show that began in the early 1950s and ran for 19 seasons. And I watched it because growing up we had Nick at Night, which was Nickelodeon, which was a TV show. I don't know, if this, is it still a channel? Okay, someone's nodding, other ones are like, I don't know, I have Netflix, I don't know. Right? And they played all these older shows in the evenings, and Lassie was one of them. The main character was a dog named Lassie, hence the name. And most of the storyline for 19th season revolved around the young dog's owner. Now, there, the name was changed partway through, but the one that I remember was Timmy. Lassie's little boy owner, Timmy, who would get into trouble. So the general premise of the show is Lassie would come running up to the house barking to get the attention of an adult who would then go save Timmy from something he got stuck somewhere. In fact, a trope for TV shows kind of developed that was like, what's that, Lassie? Timmy's fallen in a well again? Which is funny, because in 19 seasons, Timmy never actually fell in a well. But that's the kind of the idea that, that, that sprung from this idea. Boy gets in trouble. Secondary character goes running for help to save boy in trouble, right? Now, you don't have to know anything about this black and white TV show from the 50s and 60s to understand the problem, right? You're in trouble and you need help. That's the whole premise of the show. And so even if you've never seen it before and you're like, why is he even bringing this up? I say this because you can probably identify with what it means to be in a spot where you need someone else's help. You need someone else to come and rescue you. Someone else has to intervene. It could be something simple like you locked your keys in your car. Done that. Or you leave your lights on and the battery's dead and someone else has to come over and jump your vehicle. Or it could be something worse. You're stuck in a place you don't want to be and you call and say, can you come and pick me up? Right? Maybe you found yourself there. Maybe you haven't literally found yourself in a well. I mean, maybe you have. But you probably found yourself in a place where you needed someone else to intervene. Whatever you were doing, wherever you were, whatever it was, you needed someone else to come to your rescue. That's exactly where David's at in Psalm 40. In the middle of where he is, he's stuck somewhere. He's expressing, I need to be rescued. I need help. And in David's case, the things that are beating him down, the things that are weighing heavy on him are coming from both outside of him and inside his own heart. Look at verse 12, real quick. Psalm 40, verse 12. He says this, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David's telling us what the problem is. There are external evils, hurts from others. We read about them a little bit later in the psalm. They seek his ill, they want to tear him down. Those external evils have encompassed him, he says. He's surrounded by them. Can't get away. Maybe you felt that, right? Where the opposition, the criticism, the hurtfulness, the, the brokenness in the relationship, it is overwhelming and it seems like it is 
closing in around you, that there's no escape from it. Maybe you've felt that. And David says, I feel that. My enemies, the evils are encompassing me. But David also says this, my iniquities have overtaken me. His iniquities are his sins, his own wickedness. That's not outside stuff, that's inside stuff. My own sins, David says, have overtaken me. They've caught up with me, and they're so thick on my head. Picture it. They're so thick on my head that I can't even see where I'm going anymore. Maybe you've felt that as well. You've been at the bottom of a big old hole, and you look around wondering, how did I get here? And sure enough, there's a shovel in your hand, right? And you just feel the shame and the weight of that. You're overcome from everything from outside. You are overwhelmed by everything from within. David says, I'm in a hurting place, and it comes from outside, and it comes from inside. And then he says, my heart fails me. I am stuck. That's the context I want us to understand for Psalm 40 and David's request. He is asking God for rescue and deliverance. So this is the question for you and I to consider as we read a text like Psalm 40. When outside hurts seem to encompass us, and when internal sins overtake us, where do we seek deliverance? Where do we seek rescue? Where do we go? And I want us to find, here in Psalm 40, what David found. That deliverance, rescue from things both outside of us and from our own issues, our own sins, deliverance is only found in Jesus. Every other place we look for rescue will fail. There is no other deliverer. Rescue is only found in Jesus. So three things I think we can see here in Psalm 40 that kind of will help, help us get kind of a path through the, through the text today. Deliverance, declaration, and delight or desire comes up both, both ways. Deliverance, first, David seeks God for deliverance. Second, David makes some bold declarations, some statements. And third, David expresses the delights of his heart and really shows the desires of God's heart as well. So let's work our way through David's song here and ask some questions of ourselves along the way. First, David, finding his, himself in a place of need to be rescued, seeks deliverance. Look at verses 1 through 4. Remember, this is a song. David opens his song with some faith-filled statements of what God has already done. As Josh opened in prayer today, he started to say, hey, David's prayer is open with like, uh, honest admission of faithfulness, deliverance God's already given. And I'm like, he's preaching my sermon already. Right? I waited patiently for the Lord. The Lord heard me. The Lord drew me up from the pit of destruction. Notice where David starts his request with praise. He starts it with praise. He doesn't start it even with asking. He starts it by confessing the Lord's past faithfulness of God. That he has been faithful. He has delivered. He has rescued me. He has pulled me up. He's put a new song in my mouth. And so his prayer begins with praise. And then at the end of the passage, verses 13 through 17, David sings then his request. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Don't be slow. I know you've been faithful. I'm going to open with praise, which now fuels my prayers. And what's significant about this is that David's praise is directed to God. His request 
is directed to God. David could have said, Lord, I have slain thousands in battle. I've put armies to flight. I have conquered nations. I have killed giants. But David doesn't start his prayers with any of those things. David says, God did this. God did this. God did this. Oh, Lord, would you help me again? He heard my cries in the past. He drew me up from the pit. He's made my steps secure. He has delivered me before, and I will praise him for it. And on the backside of this psalm, because God is the one who's delivered before, I'm crying out to God, and I'm pleading with him to deliver me again. David's cries for deliverance are clear. Question for us. When we need rescue, where do we turn? To whom do we call? When we're feeling crushed from either the outside or from within, where do we turn first? Right? We've handled something like this before. We can probably do it again. I'm strong enough, smart enough, clever enough. I can do this. Do we, is that our natural response? Or do we acknowledge God's clear, sovereign hand in our past victories? Because how we view our past victories shapes where we go first when the next set of challenges comes, I think. Our prayers are connected to our praise. We will seek deliverance from the person or thing that we trust the most or love the most. So that's why a passage like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of those familiar Bible passages that you, re, you, you learn in Sunday school and gets put on coffee mugs. And again, I'm great with Scripture on coffee mugs. But that's where a passage like Proverbs 3 starts to come alive, where the writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is where it comes alive is when things really get tough, when you find yourself at the bottom of some kind of a well. Lord, I'm going to let you be involved, but I just have to try to figure it out for myself first. Right? Or I have to go to my favorite other source first, my family, a close friend, my favorite YouTube channel. I don't know. Where do we go first? And so David just reaches out to God for his rescue first by praising God for his past deliverance and then pleading with God to deliver him again. That's the first thing I want us to see here in Psalm 40, the shape of David's plea for deliverance. Second, David makes some pretty bold declarations. Look at verse 5. David writes, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Notice how David is not only now talking about a personal acknowledgement, that you've been faithful to me. He says, you've multiplied your thoughts toward us. David is turning this declaration, this confession, towards all of God's people. Your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. What is he telling of? The Lord's wondrous deeds and his thoughts towards his people. He goes, I will tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David is declaring what's coming out of his mouth are declarations to the people, to the congregation. Anyone else who's in earshot, 
about the goodness of God, about the past faithfulness of God, about his loving kindness as he thinks about his own people. His people are beloved to him. A couple things here are happening as David makes this declaration, I think. At least two. One, he's reminding God's people of God's faithfulness. Notice how many times all through the scriptures we see the word remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we are forgetful. We are forgetful people. And so David, as their faithful leader here in this case, saying, hey, don't forget, God is good. He's good. He loves us. He thinks of us. His thoughts towards us, I can't even fathom. They're, they're more than I can even measure. I think David's reminding God's people of his faithfulness, but I think he's also doing something else. If David says to the people, remember God is good, David is now setting himself up to be accountable to the people. Right? He's saying out loud, hey, God's been good to me. God's been good to us. So what comes out of my mouth and what comes out of your mouth and our mouths, David is saying, as a people, should reflect what we've all said we believe about God's goodness. There's now an accountability amongst the people to say, do we believe God is good? Yes, we believe God is good. And we now hold each other to that. Further down in the psalm, verses 9 and 10, David reinforces this declaration. Look what David writes. I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord. Which is a great little aside. Like, just, you know I haven't restrained, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance. I have not hidden your righteousness and rescuing your people. I have not hidden any of that within my heart. I have spoken of it. I have spoken of your faithfulness. I have spoken of your salvation. I have not concealed or hidden your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. What is coming out of David's mouth publicly before others is a declaration of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And so I ask myself a question and I ask you a question. When we find ourselves in those places of despair... What is our declaration? What is coming out of our mouths? And here I need to guard my own heart because I'm, I'm quick to grumble. I'm still, by God's grace, putting to death that little skeptical cynic that clings to life inside of me. How about you? Are our mouths filled with complaint or confession? Grumbling or gratitude? I know I need it. I'm just going to assume that you do as well. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And I'm reminded of it so often through the declarations of others. In community group, when people are giving testimony here before they're being baptized, I'm, I need to be reminded of the enduring faithfulness of God. And we don't always do a good job of telling good stories, right? Or hearing the confession of God's goodness when others are speaking. So when someone shares a, a, a piece of celebration or receives an answer to something for which they've been praying, I want to be quicker to say, praise God for that answer to prayer. Praise God for that. Praise God for his goodness, that he would respond to you and, and, and follow, um, uh, show you his kindness in that way. When some good thing has happened and God's been gracious to show himself and provide, I want to be quicker to say out loud, God, this is from you. You're so grateful for your loving kindness toward us, right? 
You didn't have to answer in this way, God, and yet you have. Praise your name for your steadfast love. Praise your name for your faithfulness toward us. Because I think that when we see that and when we say that out loud, it's not only an encouragement for others among us who might need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, but it also kind of banks away a reminder that we're going to need later. When we find ourselves in difficulty in a place of despair, we need that reminder, maybe from someone else, to say, this has been God's faithfulness to me, and I need that reminder when I find myself in that place. David declares the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord out loud for others to hear. And what is coming out of David's mouth is flowing from his heart. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 12. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which leads us to the third thing from Psalm 40. David's mouth is connected to his heart. Declarations flow from desires. David expresses the desires of his heart and what delights the heart of God. Look at verse 6. David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now what is David saying here? Because it was God himself who gave Moses instructions for worship. Right? God's people were to bring proper worship and proper sacrifice before God in a particular way. And that included sacrifices and burnt offerings. So what exactly is David saying? Maybe we have some help with that. David's not the only one to try to speak to God's desires as it relates to worship. The prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah chapter 1. This is Isaiah speaking to the people on behalf of God. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Micah chapter 6, the prophet Micah says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? He's asking a rhetorical question. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for transgression, for, for my sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Again, Mike is asking that question as if that's not enough, right? That's not really what God wants. I think Micah, Isaiah, and David are kind of all saying the same thing. Yes, God has called you to sacrifice. Yes, but God isn't primarily interested in the bull or the goat. God is primarily interested in the heart of the worshiper and the worship being offered. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 26 when he's confronting the Pharisees who bring all the right offerings to the temple for worship, but whose motives are corrupt. In Matthew 15, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And then he says this, Did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me? In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
Here's what David is getting at in Psalm 40 and how it relates to us. God is always aiming at the heart. Always. And this is, is where kind of these all connect together, okay? Where our thoughts first go, where our words come from, it all comes from what's happening right here in the heart. So the question then is this. In our response and in our words, how we're talking to others, how we're talking about the situations in which we find ourselves, the question is what's being exposed here in our hearts? We have all kinds of emotions that rise up in us, right? But are they leading us somewhere we don't want to go? In our legitimate sadness, is there a chance that we actually might be drawn into despair? In our legitimate grief or loss, are there places where it's actually started to harden our hearts in bitterness? In our distress, what is really going on under the surface in our hearts? And that's hard for us to diagnose. It really is. And so I think at least one diagnostic tool for us to know what's going on in here is by looking, out, looking at what's coming out here, right? What's coming out of my mouth and my hands? How am I responding outwardly to what's going on in the world around me? And I think God is delighted with hearts that have him as their greatest good and him as their highest delight. And if my delight is in him, then I believe that helps us understand that passage from Psalm 37, which is often misunderstood, where David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is not God as a vending machine. If I give him the right coins of delight, he gives me what I want. It's not what that actually means in light of this. David is saying, if our delight is in him, then our hearts are aligned with his, and he is pleased to share with us those things that delight him. God delights to answer that prayer because he's after the heart, and he delights to align our hearts with his heart, his heart our desires with his desire. And that's where we find ourselves, right here, smack in the middle of Psalm 40. Look at verse num- uh, 7. Verse 7. Then I said, David writes, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. David seeks God for deliverance. David makes bold public declarations about the faithfulness and goodness of God. David expresses his delight in the Lord and acknowledges the Lord's desire for the heart of the person, not merely the outward actions. And right here in the middle, the answer to David's plea for deliverance is right here in verse 7. David is speaking about Jesus. He doesn't say his name, but David is acknowledging that my deliverance, the deliverance that I ultimately need, is coming. And how do I know that Jesus is the one being spoken of here in Psalm chapter 40, verse 7? You can turn to Hebrews chapter 10 if you'd like. It's page 584 in the Blue Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. Hebrews chapter 10. It's near the end of your Bibles. Here's here's why I, I know that David is talking about Jesus without saying his name. Because the writer of Hebrews tells me it's exactly what he's doing. Hebrews chapter 10. Alex read... Uh, portion of it earlier. For since the law, 
as but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can't fully, ultimately, make perfect those who offer them. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. The writer of Hebrews is reminding them, don't forget the practice of sacrifice in the temple. One of its main things that it did every year was to remind the people of their sin. We keep going. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Did you catch that? It is impossible. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then, he, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That is Psalm 40, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, when Jesus came into the world, he was declaring Psalm 40, verse 7, that what was written in the scroll about the one to come, the one who would rescue, the one who would do away with sin and rescue his people, Jesus is saying, that's me. That's me. My life, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, my life says what Psalm 40, verse 7 was written down by David. He continues. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Here's the key. I have done away, he does away with the first or, in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. David, in Psalm 40, verse 7, is making a prophetic confession that a deliverer was coming, the one about whom the law and prophets would testify. And Jesus says, that's me. I am he. Behold, I have come. I like the, the King James phrasing of that. Lo, I have come. We don't use that phrase, but it, it's cool. All of your offerings, they couldn't ultimately deliver you. Your sacrifices, your burnt offerings had to be made over and over again. And at best, at best, they were just a reminder of your sin. Year after year. And then in Psalm 40, verse 8, it's Jesus saying through David, I delight to do the will of the Father, and I've come to accomplish that will. Jesus comes and does away with the temple sacrifices, which were temporary, and offers his own body, as Hebrews says, once for all. So what keeps David from despair when he's in the deepest of dark holes. 
What gives David hope when he's feeling pressed and he's feeling overwhelmed, when he feels everyone is against him, when he feels his enemies are winning, when evil people are flourishing? What covers David's shame when his own sin is exposed and he is fully aware of his own wickedness, his own unworthiness before a holy God? What keeps us? What gives us hope? What covers our shame? My friend and one of the men who pastors me, his name is Steve Treichler, he's a pastor around the Twin Cities, um, he says it this way, at its basic form, what covers my shame, what gives me hope, is this gospel truth, in Jesus I'm okay. In Jesus I'm okay. Who's the focus? Jesus. Jesus is the focus. He's the center part of that four-word sentence. Where am I? I'm in him. In is the key word there. Who's the focus? Christ. Where am I? I'm in him. The one whose sacrifice doesn't expire, the one whose blood was shed for me, that by faith in Jesus we are hidden in Christ, covered in his mercy. And what am I then if I am in him? I'm okay doesn't mean the situation always gets better. It might still be really hard. There might be consequences yet coming for my own sin that I need to work through. There might be endurance through grief and loss that we will still have to walk. That relationship might still not be repaired. That temptation might still be a thorn in our side until the day that we die. But there's hope for us. Jesus is the only one who can truly rescue. And so if we're in him, then we have a security. We can say with some kind of weird supernatural confidence, I'm okay. Jesus is not only the deliverer. Jesus is my deliverer. And that's the difference. As we close, let me just say two things. I just want to be clear and, and call to anyone here, even in this room, who's been looking to other things for rescue, to consider the reality of Jesus. That this promise of deliverance is yours only if you're in him. And that comes by faith. And I think Jesus delights. He loves to answer that prayer. That's the first thing. The joy in heaven over someone who repents is, I think, the joy of Christ overflowing in the heavens. Spurgeon brings this out in his sermon on this text. He's like, we don't actually get a scripture verse that says the angels are rejoicing. We see all of heaven is rejoicing. And I think all of heaven is rejoicing is because Christ is rejoicing when he rescues one of his own. Jesus delights in the heart that turns and trusts in him by faith. And two, let me say this, that this is a song. This is a song for God's people to sing. To the choir master, it says at the beginning. We're a choir. Hope you don't mind. That this gospel reality isn't just confessed one time when you first believed. It's a song of praise and prayer on repeat in the playlist of the follower of Jesus for their lives. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take communion. 
And as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, the, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, the, the regular sacrifices of the people all through the Old Testament were only reminders of their sin, reminders of a debt that could never be paid. But our regular celebration of the Lord's Supper, yes, we do remember and consider our sin, but more than that, we are remembering that our sin was covered, that our debt was paid in full, that it was once for all. We remember that we do not have to seek rescue in some other place. We remember that we already have a rescuer, that he already has been faithful, that he already has pulled us from a pit and set our feet on a rock and made our steps secure. We have found our rescuer in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your loving kindness, the steadfast, steady, and true faithfulness of God, the loyal love of God for his people. We thank you that you don't leave us comfortless. You don't leave us in that place of despair, but delight to show us your goodness and to meet us there. And even if some of the difficulty and pain remains, we have a sureness of your goodness. We have a, a, a surety of your love and your faithfulness to us. And it is seen so powerfully and prominently in Jesus, who did not wait for us to love him and pursue him, but while we were yet sinners, died for us. Would you fill our hearts with gratitude as we come to the table? Yes, sensitive to your Holy Spirit to bring to the surface the things that we want to hold on to and hide away in dark places that we might confess those and walk in the light and that we might celebrate with gratitude the overwhelming grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus. That we'd profess together with a renewed faith that your love for us, Jesus, is seen once and for all on the cross when you died for us and then as you rose again, killing death, that we might have life in you. Would you continue to renew us and encourage your people in Jesus' name.